My name is Rob Auchincloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge of the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to take what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge so that you can use their lessons in your own life. In this episode, I am joined by none other as Michael McGill. Now, Michael and I met on Twitter, and we go deep into how we met and uh, many different topics, but mainly talking about the importance of stoicism in life and how to really live a happy and fulfilling life. So without wasting any more of your time, I would like to welcome you to the episode between myself and Michael McGill. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. Hey, Mike, thanks for coming on my show. Hey, Rob, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, I usually start off all my podcasts by asking the exact same question, and that is, what is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? Yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. So, you know, I, I try to kind of make myself not have to ask questions by setting up kind of systems and plans. So I kind of know once I roll out of bed, what's the next thing I'm supposed to do. But, you know, I, I think what the system is geared to have me do is, is, is kind of ask, how can I be useful this morning? And, and if I follow my system, I'm going to be useful. So I'm going to get up. I'm going to take care of myself uh, by exercising. You know, got five, day, five days of the week I do exercise. And uh, then I go and I, and I become useful to my family. I have a wife, a couple kids, dogs. Uh, you know, I have to play a big role in, in getting the day started off. So, you know, how can I be useful? And uh, I always like to start the day with gratitude. I've, I've started an exercise recently where as soon as I wake up in the morning, the first thing I try to do is put a, a big smile on my face and try and summon a little gratitude uh, and, and not take for granted the fact that I woke up and I'm alive and I, and I got another opportunity here. Yeah, I think it's something that Tony Robbins once said that it's really hard to be anxious or angry or fearful if you have gratitude. Uh, so I, right. I think that's a, that's a good way to start it. Um, and and now I followed you and I, I think I, I met you via Twitter because I think you and I had a couple exchanges from time to time. Um, you and I, have, I both seem avid to be avid users of meditation. Is that something you do in the morning or when do you partake in that? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of meditation and it, the I will do it at lunchtime. And again, it gets back to morning. You know, I think, you know, there's a difference that is, you know, kind of once I have responsibility to other people around me, I got to kind of find a niche of time where I won't be distracted and it's easy for me to have a block of time to stick to something as important to that. So what works for me is lunchtime. And I, and I kind of use a little bit of uh, James Clear. I learned in his book, Atomic Habits, kind of uh, habit stacking a little bit, you know, Every day I'm going to break for lunch and I'm going to come back to my to my office. You know, when I used to be in the office, when I would get back into my office and here now that I'm working from home, when I come back from lunch, I meditate. So I do my meditation in the middle of the day at lunch. And, you know, I find it's kind of a good recalibration for me going into the back half of my day. And on, on a really good day, if I'm, you know, if I'm going to, I will uh, meditate in the evening as well. So maybe about 50% of the time, you know, before I fall asleep at night, I'll do another 10 minute meditation uh, before I drift off. Makes perfect sense. 
and, and so with that, uh, you mentioned you work out or do an exercise routine or regiment five days a week. Do you, what, what days do you take as rest days then? You know, again, I kind of definitely 80-20 rule always comes into play here. You know, when, when things are going according to plan, uh, it's, it is Monday morning and Wednesday morning that I am off of exercising. And then the other days I exercise. I'm always curious. Uh, I, I think I learn more from people's workout schedules uh, by which days they choose to be their rest days. Is, is there a reason that Mondays and Wednesdays are your days off? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I think one, it's just like super personal. Like my wife works and she has she she works like four tens and she's off on Wednesday. So my wife's off on Wednesday. Got she it. takes the day off. We're both kind of like, all right, cool. We'll take it off and use that a day to sleep in in the middle of the week a little bit, get a little extra sleep. And then, you know, I think Monday just kind of happened again the day after the weekend. You know, by that time, I've worked out Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, so it's just kind of a nice break day again to make sure I'm kind of giving my body some rest too. Perfect. And so beyond the singular points you've already mentioned, especially, I think uh, it's a really common thing I've heard either meditating upon waking up uh, or, as you said, after lunch is, is also a very popular time frame uh, as, as a good way to separate the day. Would you say that you have a, a daily routine that you follow or is it more just like, as you said, 80-20, you have a, a lot of things that you make sure happen every day, but you kind of let your life dictate when they happen? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, you know, I think once you get to a point where you kind of, you know, we all have responsibilities and sometimes life just gets in the way and, and you just got to you got to pivot and you got to accommodate it. So, again, I, I kind of keep going back to that 80, 20. I'd say I stick to the plan 80 percent of the time. You know, yes, there's going to something's going to come up, you know, at my work or something's going to come up in my family. And that slot, you know, somebody, you know, I'm not always at the I'm not always 100 percent in control of my calendar and my work. Something might get slapped onto my calendar during that lunch hour. Um, you know, I'll try to pivot a little bit and do it in the afternoon. You know, if I get a little bit of a break somewhere, but some days it just, it, you know, the schedule does, uh, it's not always a hundred percent in my control. So again, I'd say 80% of the time I'm, I stick with the, you know, meditation at lunchtime and when life happens, life happens, but you know, uh, all, you know, meditation has compounding value. So, you know, I'm not going to uh, not be mindful uh, because I didn't meditate today. My previous meditations and the medita meditation I did yesterday and the, the day before and the day before and the day before are what is benefiting me today more so than the meditation that I do today. Exactly. And I, and I will, I will second that. And I think that, you know, I, I know you and I are both huge subscribers to Naval Ravikant and yeah. Uh, you know, he asked recently, besides meditation, what are other things that are truly a free lunch? And I think that, you know, meditation definitely falls in that category of something that literally anyone can do. Uh, yeah, you know. I mean, it, it, to me, it is the just lowest investment, highest return activity you can do. I mean, you can go, I mean, the most expensive, I, I have, I like to use guided meditations. I just feel it's the same yep. as like, if I go to the gym, I, I'm probably going to get a better workout if I have a coach or trainer with me. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I feel the same way with meditation is that I like to do guided. Um, just it, you know, again, it's the coach that's kind of helping me to make sure I'm getting the most out of that meditation session. Um, 
So yeah, it it I, I like to do uh, the guided meditations to to make sure I'm I'm staying on track uh, and I'm getting the most out of that session. And and so, do you have any that you'd recommend to the audience uh, in particular? But I know I, you mentioned James Clear. Um, is there anyone else that I don't know if he has guided meditation or not though? Yeah, I don't know that I don't know that that James Clear is is a meditation. I don't know if I if I've heard of him. You know, you know personally, I mean, my, my personal path was I started with Headspace. And I, you know, I, if we, you know, if we want to talk, I'm not sure how far back we you know, kind of, we want to go, but I mean, I have meditated before in my life. So I, you know, I mean, I was, I was open to it. And I, you know, I went for a very long stretch where I didn't. And, uh, you know, I started, let's call it a few years ago, I started back up with Headspace. Um, yep. And Headspace, Headspace established the habit for me. Um, and then I've, now I use waking up cause I, I just heard yeah. Sam Harris. On Sam Harris podcast. is incredible. Incredible. Yeah. I love Sam Harris. Uh, I could, you know, and, and you know, I think that's another thing with mindfulness too, is kind of listening about it. So I love listening to Sam Harris podcasts and, and Sam Harris on, as a guest talking about mindfulness. Um, but you know, right now I would say, um, that's, that's what I use today. But it, it's really just it's it's find what works for you. I, I, I don't you know, I, you, there's all kinds of there's 10 percent happier. There's calm. There's headspace. There's waking up. You know, there's you know, you can probably go on to YouTube and, you know, getting back to the point you, you were making earlier about the low investment. I mean, yeah, there are you free ones. To, absolutely. You don't yeah. have to get a subscription to a, a meditation app. You know, you can go on YouTube or you, know, you can find any kind of free resource to help help you with guided meditation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great point you bring up. Um, I personally subscribe, and it took me, I, I did use Headspace, and then I used Waking Up for a while, but, um, you know, I kind of took what, there's a, there's a great podcast between Tim Ferriss and Naval Ravikant that followed up on a podcast between Joe Rogan and Naval Ravikant, and Naval talks about his his type of meditation, which is literally him sitting down for an hour uh, with no distractions, no noise, uh, and, and just clearing his head and just, and just whatever happens, happens. And I embrace that. And I'm going to be honest, the first, you know, 50 days were hell, right? Cause you, you don't have <laughs> someone telling you that like, you know, you can't focus on anything, but, but yourself. And that usually means, you know, as he said that you have to then clear, you have to, you have to, you have to make inbox zero in your own head, which, you know, if something you haven't done in a while, it's, it's going to take uh, a while, so to speak. Um, but yeah. I've honestly found so much compounding, benefit from that now. So I, I do an hour a day, usually when I wake up, preferably before sunrise, uh, just emptying my brain. And it's, it's been yeah. amazing. So yeah, it, it, you know, that's the beauty of I think meditation, there's a lot of different flavors, there's a lot of different ways to do it. You know, you know, what Naval suggests, uh, kind of for an hour, you know, you've gotten a chance to do that, and you're getting reward out of it. I, you know, I think if there's any message I would have about meditation is there's going to be a lot of people out there, if you tell them to sit down for an hour, they're yeah. going to either one say, I, I just got way too much stuff going on in yeah. my life. I mean, you know, it could be excuse making, but it could be really, it's just hard to carve out an hour. Um, it could seem like a really high barrier to entry. Uh, for people who who are resistant to meditation because they think my mind's too busy, there's yeah. no, I mean it, it could seem intimidating. So it, you know if there's any message that I, I will kind of talk about or tweet about or anything is that again if we're very low investment, I've been meditating for three years now and I still do a ten minute meditation a day and I still and I feel exactly the same way that you do that the compounding value 
of a daily 10 minute meditation has had incredible benefit in my life. And, you know, so again, you know, what works for one may not work for another and, and vice versa, but that's kind of the beauty of meditation. There's so many different flavors of it and you can kind of find what works for you and, and what has the lowest barrier of entry for you and what is most a practice that you're most likely to stick with and not fall out of. Yeah. And I, I remember, uh, the first time I ever attempted meditation was the spring of 2016. I was, I was senior year in college and, uh, you know, I used to say something, I think that many people called out, it's like, Oh, my mind's so busy. I like keeping it that way so I can stay productive. And I think I've now learned that's BS. Right. But, uh, yeah, I, I think I did a five-minute headspace intro session, and I'm pretty sure I looked at my phone, like, checking the timer six or seven times, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. and, and now it's down for an hour. So I, I think that, you know, I, my, only, my only lesson and, and motivation for other people in that point is that, you know, like, anyone, like, someone like me who's very ADHD and, and can't, and used to not be able to sit still for 30 seconds, uh, I, I've, I've gained more value for meditation. I think you could probably echo this. I gain more value for meditation than pretty much anything else in my life in the past few years. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think to your point of it was tough to do five minutes at first. Now you do an hour kind of touches on the exercise kind of, um, exercise kind of mindset of, of meditation. It's really, yep. it's like exercise for your brain. And yeah, as you yep. do it more, you're going to get better at it. And you're going to go from a person who has a tough time sitting for five minutes to, somebody who can sit for an hour. Yeah. It's, 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 it's like exercise. And, and the more you do it, the more yep. you get, the the better you get at it. Yeah. You're, you're not born being able to run marathons. So, right. you know, exactly. it's, it's the same thing. So we'll, I think we should come back to stoicism. Um, that's, uh, we can talk about that as, as kind of a, a, a foray uh, from meditation, but, but first I really kind of want to dig into, um, you know, what your day to day looks like. And so I guess I'll ask, uh, I'll have you explain what you do because I, I really dislike the question when people are like, what do you do? It's like, it's not, not very insightful. So I, I usually like asking another way, how would you describe the work you do now to your eight-year-old self? Wow, that's a really great way to post the question. I haven't heard it put that way. Um, so I'm in technology. So I would tell my eight-year-old self that I get to work with really great people and build really cool things with technology. Um, you know, I think all eight-year-old kids kind of, you know, yeah. like that kind of future and, and building things and, and making cool things. So I would, I would tell my eight-year-old self that I'm, when you grow up, you're going to make really cool stuff with technology. And do you think that they'd be proud of that? I think they would. I think my eight-year-old self would have thought it would be pretty cool. The idea, you know, gosh, when you know, you know, when I was eight years old, it was a little, a little bit of kind of pre-internet days and all of that. So sure, I, might yeah. not have, I might not have been able to use those buzzwords of "Hey, you're going to do stuff on the internet" and all that. Yeah, but uh, um, you you're know, crazy, the, man. <laughs> the idea of kind of the science fiction kind of aspect of you know, you're going to be working with things that don't even exist today, uh, and you're going to be helping to build new things that you know you know, won't exist at the time you build them and you're helping to make them come to reality. Um, I would have liked, I would have been proud of the idea of kind of creating things. And so on your, on your Twitter bio, it says you're a healthcare CIO. What is, what is a CIO? So I'm a chief information officer. So, um, you know, basically I lead 
technology for the organizations that I the organization that I work for. I am I'm the you know the 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 guy who helps to lead innovation and lead technology for the company I work for. And and have you always been in IT or is this a field that you kind of uh, you know drifted into over time from you know similar complementary fields and ideas? Yeah, I mean, you know, my my education journey was was kind of interesting, and I and I kind of you know a little kind of walked a little bit of a longer winding road. Um, so I did have a little bit of a previous job, but my career has always been in technology. Got it. Um, and another thing I want to point out on your on your Twitter bio, uh, and I I will link your Twitter uh, before and after the show so people can can follow you. But uh, you, you in quotes it says the Stoic CIO. Uh, so you know, as promised, talking about Stoicism, um, why why do you use that or like using that self uh, subscribed title? Um, you know, it's interesting. It's kind of being I'll say somewhat new to Twitter. So I mean, first. Yeah, I love stoicism. I'm, I'm glad we're going to get a chance to talk about it. Huge fan of stoicism. Um, as far as the Twitter bio, you know, it, it's it's been uh, Twitter's been kind of like an interesting, I guess, gift of COVID. I'll call it in that I've had been on Twitter since 2010 and have never really done much on it. Um, it was probably the, the social media platform I, I used the least. And, and, and somehow I kind of found my way onto Twitter during COVID. Not exactly sure how, why, why fate led me in this direction, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of, you know, in the Naval Ravikant spirit, trying to say, how do I kind of take my unique experience of, of being in IT and loving stoicism and kind of blending that together? So I, I think the, the moniker, the stoic CIO, uh, as a product of there was somebody else on Twitter who interviewed me and, and kind of did an article about me calling me the stoic CIO because I'm somebody in IT, a chief information officer who's off, also into stoicism. And I just kind of liked it and it kind of stuck a little bit in my head. And I think it's an interesting way to kind of blend what I'm what I'm pro- good at or proficient at or, you know, what my unique skill set is, which is being in technology with something I love, which is stoicism. Cool. Um, I think for me, and I don't know why, I, I, I had this this mental like bank of what I was about to talk about, and then you know it just disappeared. But <laughs> uh, stoicism. So you tweeted a while ago, and it was definitely a tweet that I saw because it was it was, I think one of your popular recent tweets. You were talking about teaching your children stoicism, um, and I can see now that I've you know strong practicer of stoicism myself. Uh, I could see how that would have been beneficial to myself as a kid. Um, so how old are your kids and and how did you go about deciding to do that? And, and what are the processes you're using? Yeah, yeah. So I have a 14-year-old son and an 11-year-old daughter. And, you know, what's tough, what the hardest thing as a parent is watching your kids kind of suffer through things that you have the benefit of time and wisdom and so it's, it's not, you don't want to say they're not important because they're hugely important um, to them, just like they were for me. You know, so if, if, if my daughter comes home from school and she had a hard day because, you know, maybe somebody said something unkind to her or she's worried about what somebody's thinking of her, you know, I have the benefit of age and practicing stoicism a little bit to kind of realize that we don't always have control over those things. And, um, 
you know, I think that's one of the greatest lessons of stoicism that is useful for anybody, no matter what profession, what age you are. To me, the, the single most valuable lesson of stoicism is it's simple but powerful, just understanding what we have control over and what we don't have control over. So, yeah. you know, I think the tweet you're referring to, I'm, I'm not going to sit down with my 11-year-old daughter and say, you know, uh, Marcus Aurelius <laughs> and the Stoics would teach us that, you yeah. know. Um, I'm going to talk stoic principles with her and I'm just going to talk to her like, let's, let's look at this situation and what can we control and what can't we control? And, and the parts of it, what we can't control, which are other people's opinions of us or what other people choose to say, um, or, you know, the fact that, you know, whatever else might've happened at school that, that caused you to have a bad day. What of that situation did you have control and what did you have control over? So, yep. you know, my kids are both pretty well versed in, in daddy asking questions like about what we have control and what we don't have control over um, and just trying to help them adopt that kind of mindset of that's one seed of stoicism to plant in their brains is just what can I control and what can I control and how do I just shift my focus onto the things that I can control and not worry about the things that I can't control, which is very much easier said than done, especially for somebody, a teenager or a preteen. But um, I still, it's still my job to plant those seeds and, and help them, you know, kind of develop some mindsets that'll help them navigate those waters, you know, those difficult waters that they're going through and at their age. Uh, now, my son, who's a little bit older, you know, he knows I love stoicism. You come in my office here. I got stoicism books here. I got a Marcus Aurelius bust in my office. And, you know, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll riff on stoicism a little bit with my son. But, you know, when he was younger, too, same thing. You know, just try and talk and, and take the lessons and, and try and put them in a way that somebody of their age would understand without, you know, going into words like stoicism that would mean nothing to them. Yeah. And, and I couldn't agree more. And I, I think that you know, I have a lot of issues with with modern education um, and and necessary and and more in the fact that there are many things that I think should be taught, uh, mainly like basic economics, basic nutrition, basic things that people don't seem to learn. And I think that you know, stoicism and understanding, uh, I, I think mindfulness as a larger category is something that you know definitely should be touched on uh, at a young age. But it's something that it's it, in some circles is almost taboo to talk about, which is really too bad. I think that. You know, as we round out into you know this this uh, decade, I think every day we get farther and farther in this conversation that like you know people are more open of talking about their mental health and their and their headspace and their mental uh, you know current state and that you know it's it's okay not to be okay and I think that the more we start talking about things like stoicism and mindfulness and meditation that you know we're all talking about the fact that you know it's like we all have brains we all know how crazy they can get it's important for us to all you know work together to help each other feel okay when things aren't necessarily going okay, I think. Yeah. And you know what, Rob, I think it's really, it, it, I think it's starting to kind of find its place into mainstream society. I mean, you're seeing, you know, LeBron James doing calm commercials on TV. So I, yeah. you know, and I can even just tell you and other groups of people I'm in, um, you're seeing meditation being talked about more. I mean, I was just, we have a book club for work that I was, I was, you know, I was in last night and meditation came up. Um, so it's, it's definitely becoming more mainstream and it's funny, you know, I kind of, I always reference back to podcasts and I don't know if I can remember the exact guess, but somebody was, on, I think the Tim Ferriss show saying how, you know, just like a hundred years ago, physical exercise was weird. You were like yeah. the guy with the <laughs> handlebar mustache at yeah. the circus, picking up the big you know dumbbells or barbells. Um, it, it was weird. 
Um, now, you know, physical exercise is obviously something that's, uh, you know, everyone universally accepts the fact that it's a good thing to do. And yeah. I think that, you know, mindfulness and meditation is on that same kind of trajectory that probably by the time the next generation of my kids are older and their kids, I think, you know, I, I could just see a future where everybody accepts the fact that practicing some form of, of meditation is an accepted and beneficial practice. I, I couldn't agree more, um, and I think it's fascinating to look at that as, as, an, as an overall arc, is that the things that society used to celebrate and now almost uh, does the opposite. I, th I think sleep, especially in our circle around technology and entrepreneurship and startups and, and just that, that whole realm, you know, I'd say even as close to, as soon as five years ago, the people that barely slept, that worked all the time, that, you know, became warriors of, of coding and computers were celebrated. And nowadays it's it's the people that don't set alarms and sleep nine to ten hours that are actually, um, you know, being celebrated. Yeah, I agree. Sleep is, is definitely... Uh... I guess I wouldn't say making a comeback. It, it's being recognized. And that, yeah, that's another, it's another positive change. Um, you know, these kind of heroic Herculean 24 hour sprints and, and, you know, bragging about not getting sleep and God knows, you know, what the quality of, of what you are producing might have been vastly superior had you gotten a little sleep uh, during that period of time too. So yeah, it's good to see that, you know, kind of the power and the benefit of sleep is being more recognized now too. I, I agree. And also that, you know, just like nutrition and uh, everything else, it's, it's sleep is very personal. What one person needs is not what another person needs. Um, and I think that, you know, we're all learning that, you know, it, it's best to figure out what works best for you and not kind of identify solely with a society in terms of what they think is best for you. Right. Um, and uh, I think my good example is that I, I took part in the levels, uh, the, the continuous glucose monitoring beta um, later last year in the end of 2020. And that was pretty fascinating. And, and just comparing my results to other people in the trial about, you know, some foods I would eat that would send my blood sugar spiking and, you know, cause issues in terms of, you know, from a metabolic perspective, but the same food in another person could be something that they could eat, you know, copious amounts of without any kind of effect. Uh, and, it, and it kind of just reminded me that, you know, we are all individuals that, you know, we have to figure out and fine tune, you know, what works for us. And I think that, you know, 30, 40 years ago, society was like, you should sleep this long, you should eat exactly like this, this is how you should work out, this is how you should read, this is how you should work. And nowadays, it's like, you know, you're your own individual, let's, let's figure out what works best for you through data experimentation and, uh, you know, learning. Yeah, yeah, could agree more, Rob. I mean, it's, you know, we're, Definitely nothing's cookie cutter. We're all our, our special, unique kind of, uh, you know, blends of, of experience and, and, and physiology and all the other variables that kind of went into play. And, and you know, we just got to experiment and, and work and, and get collect the data and, and figure out what works for us. Exactly. Um, you mentioned books and a book club. Are there any books you've read recently that you would openly recommend to a person you randomly met in the street? Uh, you know, so anytime somebody asks me for book recommendation, I would recommend to somebody first, I'll, I'll pull out kind of a little bit of my canned answer, but it's canned for a reason. Uh, I, I always recommend The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. And just because it was such a, um, a pivotal and impactful book in my life because it introduced me to stoicism. So if I meet with somebody and they just kind of casually ask, hey, any kind of book recommendation or anything, I'll always recommend The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. 
Um, you know, even if you don't end up falling, uh, kind of going down the, the stoicism rabbit hole, it's, it's still a pretty good book about how to kind of just get a positive mindset and see the obstacles in your life as, as opportunities uh, and kind of the, the signal of what direction you should be going in. Um, you know, after that, as far as books I've read recently, um, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously if you're on Twitter, you can't, you, you're going to you know about it, hear about it. You know, Atomic Habits by James Clear was a very good, was a very good book, but I don't know, maybe to go down the mindfulness path a little bit. I've also recently read, uh, Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. I, I honestly don't know if it's Hesse or Hesse, um, if I know the exact uh, pronunciation of the last name, but Siddhartha, um, which I think, you know, kind of mindfulness has opened up this whole other kind of books that, you know, I'm thinking kind of Awareness by Anthony DeMello, uh, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, um, Siddhartha, um, just kind of opened up this whole other kind of avenue of books that I may not have read before. I may have thought, oh, that's fluff or that's, yeah, but, sure. uh, Siddhartha, yeah, Siddhartha was, was an excellent book about just, I think just reinforcing mindful principles of, you know, kind of that, again, that kind of resonate through awareness and, and the power of now, just again, that, and I guess it's a good way to put it, just the power of now of being in the moment and appreciating the beauty and the miracle that we're right smack dab in the middle of, instead of kind of searching for it somewhere else. Yes. Um, and, and I couldn't agree more. And I, I think that, you can learn a lot about someone's own perspective on life and the books they recommend others, right? Um, I, th I think you and I both strongly agree that, you know, like the, the most valuable currency in, of, of life is time. And, you know, obviously reading is, is, a, is a time consuming thing, but I think it's, it's something that is worth the investment. And so I, I look at, you know, recommending a book as, as a pretty, it's a pretty important thing because you're, you're recommending something you spent a good deal of your own time on and you're recommending someone else to also spend their time, you know, absorbing information about a certain subject. And I think that just like anything, information can, uh, you know, enlighten you or poison you. Um, and and so I think it's it's always a heavy recommendation to, to recommend books. That's why I think we, we learn so much from each other from what we do recommend each other to read. Yeah, I like that, Rob, actually. I like that a lot, kind of the a little bit of the responsibility of when somebody asks you for a book to read, you know, it's, you know, to not, you know, just be casual about it, you know, be, be a little bit thoughtful about it. Um, and even if maybe, you, you know, if you know the person a little bit, maybe kind of understanding where they're at in their life and maybe something that touched you at that point, you know, or something that might benefit them again, if you know them a little bit, you know, that, gives you an opportunity to be a little bit more thoughtful on your response. But I, I like that perspective of kind of the responsibility of recommending a book. Yeah, it's, it's, it's I always try to think about that. Um, and what was it you on Twitter that we had an exchange about the merits of using eBooks versus paper books? Was that you? <laughs> you know, I did. So again, kind of being a little bit you know, kind of uh, of new on Twitter and just, you know, really seeking a way to kind of like build a, an audience, engage with an sure. audience and a, yeah. and a, and a, com and a community. Really, I, the, I like the word community better than audience. I, I mean, do too. Yeah. Um, I, I love reading. So I, I put like a tweet out there about, yeah, that, you know, uh, you know, that I, I love reading. I prefer to read on paper and papers better than ebook, you know, convince me otherwise. And, um, 
actually got a really a lot of really kind of compelling reasons to not read on paper anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah, that was uh, that was a tweet I did. And actually, that was a really cool kind of really good. Again, I love those kind of engaging type of tweets where you just it make you get feedback from other people and, and you kind of get to interact and, and you know, and, and kind of form relationships and, and see things. Like, so, I mean, look, you know what? I mean, I almost am you know, ashamed is a little bit hard of a word, but I mean, just a lot of uh, people recommending ebooks just because of the uh, ecological, uh, yeah. you know, environmental benefits of. of yeah, I was I was the first one on that thread to raise that point. I remember. Uh, oh, OK. Yes. Yeah, so I, I remember that was. Uh, I, I saw everyone talking about a lot of the reasons why I use them, which is that, you know, obviously ease of access and being able to read them anywhere. Um, I like the, the highlighting features and the fact that I like to reread books. And sometimes some of the books I'll, I'll frequent often, uh, probably the, the book I've read the most of any single book is probably The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, uh, which is quite, quite a popular book. Um, but I'll honestly, some days I'll just need a quick kind of uh, infusion of uh, charisma and inspiration. And I'll just go back and read the highlights I did in the book. So I can just like read the entire book in about an hour by just reading like the, the greatest hits I thought were the best takeaways from that book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, I could geek out on books. We could do a four hour you know, <laughs> podcast. Yeah, sure. About books, you know, there's a whole thing that goes on there. Um yeah, I'm with you. Uh, there are a lot of benefits to ebooks. I, I don't know if it's just history pulls me. Again, you know, I, there weren't ebooks. I've, I've been a lifelong reader. I've always loved reading, and there's something that's always been magical uh, for me to to open up that book and and dive into it. And I think more. it's yeah. maybe just a little bit of that history. But look, if I if I'm going to stack up the reasons of paper versus ebook. Honestly, ebooks have a ton of. I'm just listing out if I have the kind of list of benefits under the paper book and the list of benefits other under the ebook. What I found from that tweet and even from my own experience before, there are a lot more benefits to ebooks. And yeah. you know, it's it's. I'm not. I'm certainly not religiously against them. I I have a lot of books that I've read on Kindle, um, and even you know, in, in recommendations I've made to people in the past, I've recommended you know get it on an ebook. That way, you have it on your phone, you have it on your iPad, you have it on everywhere you go. You got the book with you. So, you know, it's definitely there. But I find for myself when I'm buying a book that for whatever reason seems like it'll be meaningful to me. Like for example, I just bought um, the Psychology of Money. Yeah. And for whatever reason in my head, my head said, physical book for that. Like yeah. for whatever reason, whatever is going on in my brain, it said physical book because it feels like that could be a, a, a meaningful book that I want on the shelf. Um, where a lot of other impulse buys where maybe my head's like, eh, I'll give it a shot. Um, yeah. I'll buy it on Kindle. I'll buy it on Kindle. So Eight books I, on Kindle. I'm, yeah, I'm, easy. I love, I love paper books. Yeah, I'm not on paper. I love paper books, but I am still probably almost 50-50 between paper books and ebooks. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I think if I were to kind of give you a formula for what I use, it's that the more I think I'll reference it um, as a, an information piece or want to take notes or remember tidbits or have easy access. Like I, I think a good example of that is... Uh, my friend challenged me with him, even though I've read most of it from other parts, to do the um, the Daily Stoic, the Ryan Holiday book uh, this year. Yep, yep, and it's it's, yep. it's a really nice daily reminder. And even though I've read most of the stuff from their either their source or Ryan's other stuff or Tim or Naval or, or, or everyone else, um, it's nice because 
you know, it's reading a page a day and having that on my phone, because I use the Apple books on the iPhone, it's like I can be standing in line at the grocery store or on the subway or on the plane or in my bathtub and I'll still have access to everything, which is something that I, I like. Um, and because I, I spend a lot of time in design and as a photographer, I have a lot of like coffee table books, so to speak. And I think I love those and, and, and paper, right? It's like, I wouldn't want the best photos of Steve McCurry on digital. Like I want that to be like a big five pound book. You like leave on the table for everyone to look at, you know? Right. Um, and, and that to me is like the magic of books. I think that's just how I grew up. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think just like, as we talked about earlier, it's like, you have to do what works best for you. It's like, you know, if, if you, switching to paper will make you read all the time. I think that that is, you know, more useful for you. Uh, to, I'd rather people read than not read if that means picking one or the other. Right. Right. Um, right. I, I think that, you know, I think as Naval said, I think we, we've both quoted him almost too much at this point, but uh, you know, people that read at least an hour a day are already in the top like 5% of the world. And so, um, and, and many people read more than that, but in terms of reading, quality information that helps continue their life and not just like the most recent WAPO article or the New York Times or Fox News or random articles mm -hmm. online or what's on Instagram or Twitter. It's just like purposeful reading to increase your own awareness of the, the nuances of life. I think that that is so important. And, and I used to, I, I grew up hating reading. I think it was because the amount of forced reading I was you know forced to do as a kid in, in my school system in Massachusetts. But uh, as I get older every day, I appreciate the ability to just open a book and learn from, you know, someone else's life. Yeah, you, you really, you, you covered a lot of really good ground there. You know, a couple things that, that come to mind is one, yeah, just kind of the aesthetically pleasing experience with a book that it's just, it's hard to give up, you know, to kind of, again, that, and to be able to look at my bookshelf, you know, I mean, that's kind of, I'm in, you know, in my, in, you know, in my space here, and that's kind of my sacred spaces is my bookshelf. And, uh, you know, there's just something that's kind of magical about that to me. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I think, you know, kind of when you talked about intentional reading, you know, that, that resonates with me too. You know, I, I'm, I guess you could say, uh, I'm a voracious reader and that I'm reading all the time, but I am a slow reader. I'm, I'm a very, uh, intentional reader. Yeah. Uh, same here. I'm, I'm highlighting, I'm taking notes in the, in the margins. And, you know, you talked about that easy reference, which is a benefit of eBooks, but Every book I read, all, whether it's ebook or paper book, all my notes go into Evernote, and my Evernote becomes my second brain. If I need to refer back to that book, I go jump back into Evernote, and and I and I can quickly kind of get the the points I had. And I think the transcribing of the notes into Evernote it also helps kind of uh, uh, solidify what I learned. Um, just the process of transcribing. Um, really helps to cement things. So I, I'm kind of like a book a month guy, as far yeah. as, you know, um, like development type books, something that's going to professional, personal development type thing. I try to do one a month just so I can spend a little time with the book and uh, get the most out of it. Yeah. I think that, you know, I, I, I'm the same way. It's, I, I'd rather, I'd rather read a book that every three pages I have to stop and think about it for 10 minutes and, and, and like, you know, postulate on it than one that I can just, you know, breeze through. Um, right. and cause, cause I think that there's this, 
one of my one of my mentors, Brian Collins, um, he had me read read this book by Young Me Moon, um, and there is one line that I remember distinctly, and I'll never forget it in the book. It's in like the first few pages, and she said, um, "What what matters is not what's on the page, but what's in your head as you read it." Yeah, and. Yeah. And, and that was a really eloquent point because I used to think as a kid, like I have to pay attention to every word and, 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 and imagine the story and think about the writing. But I kind of realized just like, you know, the most powerful books are the ones that make you think, right? Right. And sometimes, yeah. yeah. No, I'm sorry, Rob, go ahead. No, no I, I, was, I was just briefly finishing wrapping that up. I was saying that sometimes someone can make a point and that leads you down a, a path in your head that, uh, you know, elevates and alleviates eight other points that, you know, needed to be made, so to speak. Uh, but what were you saying? Excuse me. No, no, I, you know, that's a great point. I mean, some books, you're doing them a disservice if you're, if you just try to plow through and read them cover to cover. And I, you know, I'm gonna, you know, I'm sure a book that, that you love going with the, down the stoicism path. So you look at Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. I mean, to me, that's not a book that you open up and say, I'm going to spend an hour reading Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. Um, you know, it to me, there are those types of books, and I and I call them uh, 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 nightstand books. Um, and I and I probably have one over on my nightstand right now. But books that are meant to be read in small doses. That uh, so I like to read them at night. And med- so let's go with meditations. So if I open up meditations and I read a few meditate a few pages of meditations by Marcus Aurelius, um, it's best in small doses because it gives you time to think about it. And I love reading it at night because there's nothing like stoicism to level set, you know, your, your first world problems that you're worrying about uh, yeah, exactly. before you go to bed. It kind of help, help um, you know, again, level set your brain to like, okay, here's what's really important. Like, let's not worry about all this silliness that, you know, my monkey mind is bouncing around right now. And then it just feels like it's something good to give my subconscious to knock around while I'm sleeping at night too. So, you know, I, you know, Bhagavad Gita, Tao Te Ching, meditations, you know, there's so many of these types of books that to me are, yeah. are again, nightstand books. You read a few pages of it before you go to bed and it might take you three months to get through it, but that's all right. You're just kind of, it's there, just kind of, uh, you know, vitamins for your brain before you go to sleep at night. Sure. I, I think that once everyone removes the the completest or the OCD of reading books, I think everyone will be much happier. Um, you know, I, I usually... It's not an immediate unfollow on Twitter, but whenever someone's just like, I read 68 books in 2020, it's like, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't care. I, I care, like, what did you learn and did you, do you, can you recall or, you know, build from the ideas that were in those books? If you're just reading for volume, it's, I, I, I don't see the point personally, but everyone's entitled to live their own life, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on the vanity number thing. I know there's, and look, again, you know, not knocking, you know, again, I would rather have you, you know, people read than not read, but I'm with you, you know, they have like the 52 books a week, I'll read a book a week. And I just, I just don't see how you really get the value. Maybe it helps you just establish a reading habit if you, you didn't have one before. But um, yeah, it's just, again, I think with books, it should be uh, quality over quantity. Yes, always. Um, kind of going back to something we were talking about earlier, um, I think this is a question I've always wanted to ask, and I kind of just realized that you're the perfect person for it, but uh, IT is a word that's thrown around a lot, right? Uh, you know, an acronym for information technology. But, you know, I guess the best way to phrase this is that um, 
to a, to a fifth grader or someone in that kind of age group where they understand basic concepts, especially like the modern fifth graders that usually most of them have smartphones and access to online and things like that, uh, or in some communities, obviously. Um, but, but how would you describe what IT is or how, how do you define IT? Because I think what most people hear it, they think of like IT is the internet that works or the person that fixes their account when it's broken. But you and I both know that that's not what IT is. Yeah. I mean, gosh, IT, you know, I could, I could t go to my son who's holding an iPad and playing Minecraft and cover, yeah. <laughs> I, I'd cover IT, you know, the concepts of IT on that, like the physical piece of hardware that your iPad that you're holding, sometimes it might break and you're going to need somebody to help fix that. So there's people in IT that can, that can help do that. And that game that you're playing on, on that iPad, you know, there are people in IT called application developers that built that game. Um, there's people who are creative who design those characters and, and they graphically design those characters and, and built those characters in Minecraft. Um, you know, there's data. Now I might be getting a little far when I, I don't know how far I go into data analytics with the fifth grader. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, so I, I think the world of IT is kind of in their hands when they're holding an iPad playing Minecraft or, or something like that. You know, it's probably, again, you know, it's a generational thing. If you would have, again, went to a kid when I was younger and talk, tried to talk about IT, it's probably a lot different than the cloud-based world we're living in today. But I think there's a lot of things you can anchor a kid back to, just of technologies, you know, things that were, again, kind of science fiction-y when I was a kid, that is just what they're, they have, what they're holding in their hands today. So, you know, um, it's a good question that I, I don't know that I have a clear cut answer to, but I think I would just anchor them back if I was talking to a kid about technology. What do you, I mean, you know, the hardware that you're holding in your hand all the way to the game that you're playing on, we're taking care of, uh, we're built and taken care of by people in IT or in technology. And, and you're right, Rob, I think IT does have a little bit of a archaic help desk guy kind of feel to it. Um, but really, you know, it's kind of, I guess, more of just the latter half of the IT, just really the technology and kind of the broad spectrum of, 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 of talents and expertise that kind of live in the realm of technology. Yeah, th that was perfect in my mind. <laughs> so uh, switching gears slightly, and, and thank you for that response. Uh, is there something you believe in that most don't? There's something I believe in that most don't. Um, you know, gosh, we kind of touched on a little bit. I think, again, you know, not to kind of nerd out on stoicism too much here. <laughs> Absolutely no I problem, think, yeah. I think you see it on Twitter. You know, I think if I were to go to a lot, 100 different people and say, you know, don't worry about the things that are outside of your control. Um I got to think at least 80% of them would kind of argue with me on that um, and, and give examples of, of, you know, well, I should worry about, look at the political climate we're in right now. Look at, you know, the, the pandemic. Um, look at all these things that are going on right now that I, I should be worried about. I should be concerned about these things. And to, to have a stoic mindset and go to somebody and say, no, don't worry about the pandemic. You can't do anything about it. You know, do you worry about your response to it. Yes. So I, I guess I'll get back to the heart of stoicism there. You know, the, you know, 
I love that's the thing I kind of love about Twitter and like love jumping on this call and talking with you, Rob, is I can like talk about stoicism with somebody. I mean, my wife will like tolerate me for about two minutes if I start talking about stoicism. Uh, you know, my kids will again, you know, I'm not going to get too deep into that. Um, and I'm not going to like go to the party next door at the neighbor's house and say, hey, guys, let's all talk about stoicism. Um, you know, so again, I would, you know, I think there's things that I, I think those of us who are into stoicism probably put ourselves into a, a pretty small percentage of the population. And, you know, if we kind of start trying to live according to principles, like I'm not going to worry about things that I don't have control over, you know, there might be other people in there that just kind of get that in the world who just kind of get that and live like that. But I think the vast majority of people, and you kind of do see that on Twitter and in the mainstream news and, you know, what goes on, there's a lot of people out there that are responding emotionally to things that ultimately they don't have control over. Yeah, and and I I had made this point with a friend of mine who is deeply uh, religious, and uh, the point that I was making was that you know I've spent a lot of time in the South, uh, which is a, a, a heavily religious, heavily Christian area, and there's a saying a lot of them say it's like that's not in my control; it's within God's control. Um, now, personally, I'm an atheist, so you know I always like to to ask people and and kind of engage in conversation. I think most people are, are willing to do that, um, especially ones that are comfortable in their beliefs. But I think there's a lot of corollaries uh, and similarities between this idea of stoicism, where you can only control your response to things, and there are a lot of things outside of your control. And a strong belief by many people in this country who are religious that there's a lot that God God controls, so to speak, that they can't. Um, and I think that, that obviously there's a lot of similarity there that, you know, it's a very taboo thing to talk about, especially on a place like Twitter or something like that. But um, I think you know what I'm trying to say in yeah, that regard. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I, yeah. Please go ahead. No, no. Go, go ahead, Rob. I, I lost my train of thought. So you're going to talk. It's okay. <laughs> no, I mean, no. I think, like I said, I think there's some people who maybe just get it for whatever reason, maybe through religious upbringing, through whatever their parents might have taught them, that maybe they just naturally kind of can figure out like, hey, you know, let bygones be bygones, or, you know, I'm, just, I'm not going to yeah. worry, or, you know, kind of look, it, it's not just it's stoicism, I mean, like amorphity, you know, and just kind of these kind of these accepting principles, I mean, the the serenity prayer, you know, accept the things I cannot change, you know, I mean, sure. again, it's, you know, they might be rooted in some, you know, historical way in stoicism, I, you know, I don't know, but, you know, there's some people who maybe will say, okay, it's in God's hands or it's in some the hands of something else, but they maybe don't, they still don't let go of the emotional attachment to it. Um, and I think to me, the benefit of stoicism, to me, stoicism and mindfulness are just, you know, it's peanut butter and jelly. Or, I mean, it just goes so perfectly together. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it's, you know, stoic mindfulness again of, okay, I, this is out of my control. Um, but how do I accept it as well and, and, you know, not fight it in whatever way I might fight it. But, uh, yeah, yeah, there's, there's a, you know, kind of, I guess different varying degrees of, of how do I accept it and do I, or how do I kind of realize it's out of my control versus how much do I accept it and not fight it? I love that. I, I think that's a really good, uh, eloquent <laughs> summarization of what I was trying to say. So I appreciate you saying that. Uh, so, there's a few of the questions I have here, um, and I, they, they might not be uh, very congruent, but I'd still still be curious to have your responses. Um, you know, I, I like to ask about success a lot, and there are a couple of ways to attack this. Um, 
you know, for you, what does success look like for you personally? You know, there's, there's so many kind of different definitions and I, I want to go in a, in a maybe in a non-traditional route, which you know, obviously, you know, establishing goals and, and achieving the, the kind of goals you set before yourself um, is a measure of success. Um, you know, I almost think like in terms of, of my kids, like what would make me, what would what make me feel like my son was successful or my daughter was successful. And, and in the end, as long as they're just good people who, you know, who care about other people, treat other people well and with respect, um, then I'm, I would be proud of them and I would consider them to have been successful regardless of what career they end up in or, or what other monetary or other goals they achieve. I mean, obviously I want them to, to get careers and, and to, and to be able to you know, raise families and take care of them and, and, and provide and all of that. So taking that back to what a measure of success would be for myself, look, I, it, there's a spectrum. I, I'm a very systems guy. I, I, when I wake up in the morning, uh, I come in front of my computer and I go into my outlook and I have my task list for today. When I journal in the evening, I will put three goals or three things I want to accomplish the next day. So, you know, there's that measure of success. Did I check the things off the list? And, and of course, I measure myself by that. I mean, I'm not gonna, I, mean I, I need to get things accomplished. But if, if I whatever happened that day and I didn't get those things done, then, you know, was I useful and kind that day? You know, was I not a jerk? Uh, was I not selfish? Uh, it, it's, it's, it sounds, I, it, it's, even I say it sounds a little bit like virtue signaling and I, I don't mean it that way, but you know, it, to, I guess ask what, you know, if I'm laying down in bed at night and was, was today a success or not? Okay. Was I kind and useful today? Um, okay. If I was cool, uh, there was, you know, <laughs> the day went well and we'll try and get the things checked off the list tomorrow. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more to that. I think that, you know, I also use a checklist and I think that there's, it depends how you define success. I think that, you know, you, I like looking at success on different levels. It's like, you can have a successful day, successful week, successful year, uh, you know, life is, as a whole success. But I, I think that I found that the more you allow yourself to iterate while still maintaining, you know, strong to these ideas that might help you become a better and, you know, more, more clear thinker in person will, allow you to, you know, live the best life possible. Because like, if I, if I followed all the goals that I made three years ago, I, I, my life would be very different. I don't think I'd be very happy. So, you know, right. I, I, I think it, that. Yeah, it, it's, uh, and, and I'm sorry, Rob, I, I didn't no, mean okay. to talk over there. Um, but you know, since we're both a couple of, uh, Naval fans as well too, um, you know, the ball kind of has another quote. I like something. Yeah. I don't know if I'll quote it verbatim, but you know, all great truths are paradoxes. Yeah. Um, and it, it, you know, it's the same yeah, with this. Fantastic you know, one. Yeah. It's, it's a paradox. Like I need to get things checked off the list, but I also need to put space between the check boxes for, for the, the beauty and freedom of life. To, you know, I can't just be a, a, a machine that checks things off of a list. You know, I, you know, I wasn't born to be a robot. Yeah. Um, so on one hand, it's, it's a little bit of a paradox. Yes, I got to check things off the list, but I also have to be present. Um, you know, I, I, you know, presence is greater than productivity. You know, it's more important for me, you know, when I'm when I'm on my deathbed, you know, I'm not gonna be like, gosh, I really checked a lot of things off the checkboxes. I'm feeling good about life and, and you know, passing on here. It's going to be 
was I present? You know, am I, as I look out the window right now, I'm seeing, you know, I'm in Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm, I'm seeing snowflakes coming down. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't ever, I, I need to make sure that I appreciate snow. Like, what a miracle yeah. snow is. And if, and if I'm, like, too busy looking at my computer screen, checking things off the list, I'm not going to look to my, my left here and look out the window and say, it's snowing. And, wow, that's, like, an incredible miracle that somehow I live on an earth circling around a sun in the middle of an infinite universe that snow <laughs> falls down. And, yeah. and whether, you know, whatever your beliefs might be behind that, even if you're just the science of it, is incredibly miraculous. Oh, so, yeah. again, it can't just be productivity-based. that got to be presence-based as well. Yeah, and I think beyond that, it's I, – I love – I take long walks and lots of them, and I think that I've learned – the most from like taking these walks in the pouring rain. Um, oh, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, I, and I love that. Like I've always been a weather person. Like I, I was, I was the kid that, you know, it would be pouring at school and I'd have to bike home in the pouring rain. And I was kind of stoked. Like, I, I don't know. I just, that was weird like that, but oh, I, I'm with you. I used to be a runner. I mean, I, I don't yeah. run as my exercise anymore, but when I used to run, um, I loved nothing more than running on a rainy day. I just yeah. love running on a rainy day. I'm with you on that. Being out in the rain, I was, I think maybe it's that little kid in you, that piece. I always loved to like go out in the rain and your parents would say, no, you can't go out in the rain. Um, <laughs> you know, that, you know, kind of being able to be out in the rain, there's just something really cool about it. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more than with, than with everything you just said about, uh, you know, kind of just life and living and enjoying and just, I, for some reason, I'm remembering this this one conversation in one of the first ever Tim Ferriss podcasts with himself and um, oh, uh, it was he was the subject of the book Searching for Bobby Fisher. Um, uh, yeah, Josh, Josh, Josh Waitzkin. Yeah, so he has this amazing talk where he talks about he has a young he had a young son at this point. I think his son's now five or six, and he was talking about the importance of teaching his son that you know parents do so much to disenfranchise their children by talking negatively about certain kinds of weather. Um, because of, you know, we understand, we understand like if it's snowing outside, it's going to make a commute more dangerous. Uh, it could, it could delay the day, but you know, that rubs off on kids more than people think and, and that negative way of talking about it. And so he was just make sure that, you know, he, when, it, when it's raining outside, him and him and his son go play outside, whether it's rain or snow or shine or freezing cold or super warm. And just kind of saying that, you know, it's like, um, what's that quote? It's like, I, I didn't, I didn't invent the rainy day, man. I just own the best umbrella. I, I, th I think that, that, that kind of mindset of, you know, it's like you, we can't control the weather, but you better appreciate it. Um, because yeah. it's, it's really this amazing phenomenon. I, th I think most of the most simple things in life that all of us see every day, the sun rising, the stars, uh, you know, my background's in aerospace. Like I've always been obsessed with space and just like, just being able to see the stars is, is something that is so, so underrated um, or, or, or take place in and be able to appreciate the world. Cause I, I think you have to be in a pretty good place yourself if you're able to stop and just appreciate something so simple and pedestrian and uh, that most people kind of just forget exists because it's just there. right. But it's, you know, it's kind of all these things we've talked about. So if you would have checked in with the me of being when I was in my 20s. Um, yeah, or, I, who knows at various points in my life, I, I you know, I'm not going to, you know, say I've just been naturally this guy looking out and wondering and saying the beauty of the snow, you know, I mean, it's, 
it's it's practicing mindfulness. It's it's practicing stoicism. It's it's learning to kind of just slow things down a little bit and kind of create that space that you can kind of be present in. And you know, to me, that's to me the greatest kind of gift of of mindfulness and practicing meditation is that kind of combination of awareness and acceptance. Like, okay, I I can slow things down enough to be aware of uh, of what's going on around me right now and you'll be present in the moment and then you know that to me is the mindfulness side of it and then the stoicism which just goes so hand in hand is the acceptance um okay i can i can accept and it it doesn't mean i'm not going to act you know even if i see a social injustice or or something or something's happening i need to act on just believe you always what i learned from stoicism is you always have start with acceptance like accept what's going on right now and then take your next step and take your action on it. So, you know, look, I, you know, I, I love that we've talked about these things. Cause I mean, to me, stoicism and mindfulness are just two of the greatest gifts that for whatever reason, fate kind of dropped in my lap. Yeah. Do you, do you actually know like what, when you were first introduced to these ideas or like who did it or how it happened? Do you, do you remember that? Yeah. So, I mean, definitely stoicism. I touched on earlier again, I, you know, who knows, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, I listen to podcasts. I, I read sure, blog yeah. posts. I, I, who knows? Somehow the obstacle is the way, you know, dropped in my lap and it just, it, it yeah. just resonated with me and, and I was down the path and I'm, I'm a huge stoicism geek. I've you know, read all the stoics. So, you know, I think introduced to stoicism was Ryan holiday, you know, introduced to mindfulness again, you know, to me, mindfulness is new. Meditation is like, to me, has always been a word that's been around again. When I was younger, even there's different points when I was younger, I kind of tried different types of meditation stuff. Um, but to me, mindfulness meditation is, gosh, I may have been introduced to it through the Headspace app where I probably just thought, okay, I'm going to meditate for 10 minutes. And it, it became, it was, it's more about mindfulness. And to me, the the beauty of mindfulness is, um, every moment's an opportunity to meditate. If you every, every moment's an opportunity to be mindful. Um, so I, you know, I think mindfulness probably started down the path with Headspace and then maybe it's just, uh, kind of recency bias a little bit. Then I kind of knew I was, it was mindfulness. And then all of a sudden, you know, on Tim, you know, Sam Harris is on the Tim Ferriss podcast talking about mindfulness or, you know, kind of the magic of, I guess, recency bias, you know, kind of once you're, you're, you're tuned into it, then you hear about it all the time. So, um, the best I can kind of recall, I think mindfulness was through, through, through headspace. Fantastic. Yeah. I think with that, I was just thinking about when you were saying that, Excuse me. Uh, someone, someone dropped in my lap, or I, I think someone just said to me it was in 2017, um, in the summer, and I was just trying to figure everything else out. And someone told me to read the Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, uh, and I don't remember who it was, or what they said, or what was going on, um, but I just remember seeing it, and I remember just read it, buying it immediately, and I, I put off reading it for so long because I think that there was definitely a fair amount of denial going on, and, and that's a, definitely a book where it makes you face all that denial in your head and be like, "Am I actually on the right path? Like, am I actually doing what I want to be doing? Like, am I actually happy?" You know, uh, and I think most people prefer denial—not uh, most people, but I think I think a lot of people are stuck in that track of denial where they they convince themselves they're living the life they want to and are unwilling to become uncomfortable to potentially ask those questions um but i I wish i could remember how i found it because that that book single-handedly started this entire journey i'm on right and it's amazing how something so simple and basic like a book or a podcast or an app 
can can fundamentally change your entire life. And I think that's that's the beauty to me of of technology and information and the communities that exist online now. It's that you know who knows someone could write a blog post someday that that changes someone's entire life. And and that's kind of why I why I do stuff like this. It's like maybe there's one thing that you know maybe maybe ninety percent of what we said is, is stuff that's been repeated by other people before, but maybe there's one thing that you said that made someone go, huh, like, wow, I, I should look into that. And then that could change their entire life. And, and you never really know if that could happen or not. And I think that's something beautiful about that personally. Yeah. But you know, you know, there's a lot there too, Rob, that that's really cool. One is, you know, think of how many entrepreneurial careers, the four hour work week launched. It's, it's an incredible yeah. book. Oh I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, Tens you know, of thousands. Just, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, depending on when you find it. So, you know, I found it a little later in my life. And it's the kind of the next thought is, you know, the pandemic kind of helped bring a lot of those kind of four-hour work week. Like, you know, pre-pandemic, the four-hour work week, I'm like, all right, how can I figure out how to work from home more often instead of going yeah. to the office? And, oh, okay, here you go. I'm working from home all the time now. But, uh, you know, it's a great book. It, it has uh, launched a lot of uh, entrepreneurial. I mean, Tim's done, uh, you know, look, man, there's a – you know, Tim Ferriss, you know, Brene Brown, uh, Derek Sivers, okay, Sam Sivers Harris, is great. Naval yeah. Ravikant. I mean, just, you know, it's how thankful that, that these people exist, you know, yeah. when you're thinking of things to be grateful for, you know, like I'm grateful that like, you know, Tim Ferriss walks the earth because, you know, he's been my gateway drug for so many different things, just, you know, introduction of different thought leaders and, and different practices. And, you know, through Tim, you find Naval and you find Seth Godin and you find yeah. uh, Tara Brock and you find Sharon <laughs> Salzberg. I mean, he's got the whole mindfulness crew and different, oh, yeah. uh, you know, podcast episodes and just, you know, just, you know, what a thank you know, thankful you are that Tim Ferriss just has become this gateway for so many people to just learn so many different things. And, you know, you throw him and again, so many of these other kind of really great thought leaders that were kind of are walking the earth with us now that we get to learn from. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really cool going off on a little bit of a tangent there, but just no, it's kind per of perfect because it allows me to bring up one of my favorite things I've practiced in the past year, which is from Derek Sivers, which is it's either a hell yes or a no. Um, mm -hmm. and I realized for a while I used to do so many things, uh, even sometimes I was seeing people romantically or working on projects or going out with friends or traveling and always be like, yeah, okay, why not? Like, yeah, meh, you know, but, and I realized that if I kind of, I did a, I did an 80, 20 analysis of, of the past few years and I kind of realized that, wow, most of the time those experiences weren't necessarily negative, but what if I had filled that time with hell yes instead? Like how, how much, how much better would it have been? And it's like, great. Well, I learned a lot from all that. And some of, and I think that my only issue with that one quote is that there are some things that I did where I was just like, Oh, this is going to be terrible. And they changed my life. So yeah, yeah. it's, it's one of those kind of, <laughs> again, one of the great paradoxes. Two yes. phrases that are opposite but equally true, which I totally get. You know, hell yeah, you know, either you know, learn to say no to more things, but equally true on the other side is learn to say yes to more things. Yes. Um, I think Absolutely. it all just depends where and what and where you're coming from. And you're right. You know, there's a lot of times that no's the easy answer. Like no can be a cop out. You got to be careful with no. Um, no can hurt people. It, it can it can crush. Out. You could you could say no to something that if you would have been there, who knows how you might have impacted somebody else. 
Um, you might be saying no because you're feeling anxious when really yes is what you should be saying. And you should be exposing yourself to that thing. Um, so like the whole no yes thing is is a very interesting. But I get what Derek is saying and I agree. It's a great mind. It's a great to me if you pick your spots for it. If I'm on the fence about something, it's a great um, kind of mental exercise. Okay, yeah. am I feeling hell yeah or no about this? Um, and maybe you have a couple follow-up questions you got to ask yourself, but I get it. And I do believe that it's, it is a great mindset that I have used a few times um, when I've been on the fence about something and I'm agonizing over a decision, you know, is hell yes or no is a kind of a great uh, filter to run it through. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more to that. Um, and I think, you know, there's no defined path to run through life but i'm getting to the point where i i'm challenging myself and i think the biggest thing i've spent time thinking about recently um is really twofold one is that i realized about most of 2020 uh not really pointed in any particular direction and i spent a lot of time kind of thinking and building the foundations of lots of things but i was never that pointed and so now that I'm becoming more and more pointed in, in the direction I want to head, I kind of, you know, I get mad and flustered about, you know, maybe I, wow, I wasted so much time not doing these things. And I realized that, you know, I had no directionality or intent when I was doing all these things. So like I was achieving exactly what I intended to achieve, right? <laughs> it's like, if you don't have a goal, you're going to achieve, you're going to achieve not achieving that goal. Right. 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 Um, and the second thing is that, you know, my mind goes between always wanting to iterate and sometimes just being like, sometimes you just have to sit down and try something out and keep repeating it to force yourself into something that you truly believe in. I think, I think eating habits is, is a big thing or exercise habits. It's that you might want to believe in like, I always want to iterate you to the best, but sometimes you're like, Hey, I'm not going to touch sugar or alcohol for a hundred days. And even though there are a couple of times you're like, this is kind of crazy. I'm not living, you know, the, the, the right life or I'm not iterating. It's like the amount of like health benefit and also mental stamina you'll build from just doing that, you know, at the end of it, you could be like, that was interesting. And you learn what you did from that. But uh, I don't know. So I think mostly recently, I've been trying to figure out like, where's that balance between challenging myself. And I think the best challenges are the ones that, you know, half the time you think that like, this is dumb. Um, and, and I might be crazy for saying that. But uh, I think that's when you really kind of push yourself out of your comfort zone. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that, you know, and I think that if you're, gosh, maybe this is a little random, but, you know, uh, you know, the, you know, Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. So, I mean, if you're, if you're every night, you, you if you go to work, you come home, you sit in, on the couch and watch Netflix, and then you go to bed um, and you kind of live in that cycle. Uh, that sounds terrible. You're not going <laughs> to find your, an opportunity to challenge yourself. Yeah, you know, but if you if you listen, you say, okay, on my commute to work today, I'm gonna listen to the Tim Ferriss podcast, and then he's gonna have Naval Ravikant on. Uh, you are gonna get crazy ideas dropped into your head, like, oh, I should try meditating for an hour a day. Okay, that maybe seems like a crazy idea, but I kind of like this guy's appearance on the show. I'm gonna give it a shot. So, you know, again, maybe go in a little random direction there, but it kind of just when you kind of what you were saying of kind of trying something crazy. Well, I mean, if you're the type of person that reads different types of books and listens to podcasts and checks out different kind of accounts on Twitter and stuff like that, you just get sure. seeds yeah. get planted in your head. And you're going, well, that sounds kind of weird, but I'm going to give it a shot. 
And it's just kind of like we talked about earlier, kind of collecting the data and find out whether this is something that's right or not. So again, you know, to 90% of the population, you know, reading Marcus Aurelius meditations might seem really weird. Um, like you might walk around with that and somebody might say, what's that you're reading? Uh, why are you reading that? Uh, you know, but <laughs> if you're the type of person that kind of stretch yourself and read it, then you might get some crazy ideas about what should really be important to you or what shouldn't be really important to you. Exactly. I couldn't have paraphrased what I was saying better myself. So, um, I guess, um, so I, this, this is a question I actually haven't asked in a while because I don't think the conversation's gone there. And then after this, I'll, I'll lead into some kind of more rapid fire questions, but, um, you know, some, so I think a taboo in society, this question falls in around that and you do have my absolute permission to uh, pass on it. But, you know, what are your feelings on love? Ooh, feelings on love. Uh, you know, again, I thought, you know, I love love. You know, it gets back to you. It's funny. It's why you talk about stoicism so much and you think you're supposed to be emotionalist and, you know, stoic. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, no, that's yeah, crazy. Of being stoic and unemotional and everything. Um, whereas I think, to me, stoicism just acts as the kind of the gatekeeper between negative and positive emotion. And like, oh, joy is coming visit. Yeah, gate comes open, come on in. Um, oh, anxiety's coming. Uh, you know, let's let's put the gatekeeper of stoicism up to to try and keep that out. Um, so, look, thoughts on on love. Uh, it, to me, it, you know, again, it's going to sound sappy. I mean, but in the end, that's really what it's about, right? Um, yeah. You know, going back to the deathbed. You know, who are the relationships that I had, and and you know, again, did I did you know? It's funny. There's a there's a song. I think it's death cab for cutie what sarah said um, oh yeah great you know, song love is watching someone die um you know which think about that in your life like my dad aunts uncles grandparents like the people that i truly loved the most were the people that i was there right up to the last moment so you know who's who's going to be up there to the last moment um and you know you know wow yeah it's a deep question i guess i don't want to go uh, go go too much of a tangent on that but it's the most important thing out there Um, and you know, I think another thought I have, I love that I learned because when we're younger and you think even just the spectrum of a relationship, like my relationship with my wife, you know, now, you know, love was a noun at the beginning, you know, it was a feeling, it was a feeling like, okay, you know, infatuation, you know, I'm on cloud nine, you know, uh, and you, you, you commit yourself to a long-term relationship and then love becomes a verb, uh, it becomes an action. And, you know, you learn to love somebody in a lot of very mundane, unsexy ways. But, you know, taking the dog out, you know, when my wife's not feeling well or or doing or folding the laundry or her um, doing something with the kids because she knows I got something to do for work. I mean, that's love. I mean, it's not shivers up your spine. Ooh, you know, getting, you know, you know, uh, you know, heart throbbing love. It's 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 the it's the daily action of love that yeah. you know ultimately love becomes in any type of long-term relationship so random thoughts on, on love but um it's it's you know to me it's it's more of an, an action than a feeling and a, a verb more than a noun but uh you know the most important thing in our life yeah and uh i i i i loved everything you just said and i'm kind of like romanticizing in my own head uh, you know, kind of being a single 26 year old and also like I've, I've been in love before and I've been in relationships and, you know, I have strong relationships with my family and friends. And so I think that 
kind of going off. You love is defined in many different ways, um, but it, it almost kind of is that, you know, it is my leading candidate for like, what's, what is the purpose of life, right? Because um, it's, it's one of those things that can't be defined by really anything. And, and to me, it reminds me of one of my favorite movies of all time, A Beautiful Mind, uh, who's about one of my favorite scholars of all time, John Nash. Um, who, you know, is famously won the Nobel Prize for Nash's Equilibrium, but he was also, you know, a para paranoid schizophrenic. Like, you know, he spent most of his life talking to people that he thought were real were actually just living in his head. Um, and it's kind of amazing that someone who dealt with so much, you know, div uh, adversity was able to achieve so much. And I think that's kind of why he was. But he famously said something along the lines of his Nobel Prize acceptance speech of, um, and I've made the most important discovery of my career the most important discovery of my life, it is only in the mysterious equations of love that any logic or reasons can be found. Um, That's great. Yeah, and this is someone who, you know, spent his entire life, uh, you know, postulating economic and advanced number theories. You know, it's, it's someone that, you know, truly understands the, 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 the bottoms and the, and the depths to which science and math can go. And I think that that's, that's beautiful. And I think, uh, Feynman would also agree with that. You know, Feynman talks a lot about love and sex and caring and friendship and, you know, all these crazy things. I think that's why he's such a popular figure among Stoics and among people like Ferris and Naval and you and me. Right. And you know what, though? I haven't read any Richard Feynman. What, where should I start? Um, oh, boy. I'm the wrong person for this. He's that person that I've always appreciated from afar. And I, I do you ever feel like you save books for, like, a, a good day where you just feel like it's the right time to start this? Uh, right. Feynman, Feynman is that, but I've heard the one that's most mentioned that's on my list that I'll be starting in the next uh, week or two, actually, that's like on my rotation is, uh, surely you must be joking, Mr. Feynman. Um, yeah. that's the one that's been, um, that's the one that's been, you know, kind of referenced, uh, the most that I've heard. Um, you know, Naval has mentioned it, uh, Ferris has mentioned it, uh, it's been all over Twitter. But, um, you know, it's, it's, I think, I think it's, it's a good summation of where to start. And I think from there, people kind of propagate from that. But I think for me, I would love to having a heavy, heavy background in some pretty, pretty hardcore science. Uh, you know, I would love to dive deep on some of his more scientific works, but I do want to kind of understand his, his, his view on life. Um, and I, I don't know, he just, he's, he's like a fascinating human being. Um, yeah, yeah, I've heard a lot of things, and <laughs> yeah. I think you know, surely you must be kidding, you know, Mr. Feynman. That's been on my Amazon wish list, which basically you know serves as my reading list. I, if I if I hear of a book, I'm like, okay, I want to read it at some time. You know, it's, you know, again, we talked about earlier, paper versus ebook. That's a, a third category. Is okay, I want to read it at some point, so I'll put it on my Amazon wish list, and that's kind of just another bucket of an intimidating and ever growing list of books that, you know, I wish I could live to be 300 years old so I could read all these books. <laughs> sure. um, but it, it's, it's on the list and, and, you know, maybe, maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's kind of a message here that I got to bump it up and give it a read. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, yeah, it's, that's one thing I come to is like reading is one of those things that I'm delightfully reminded every day that it exists and I somehow forget it exists. Um, but I definitely don't spend enough time on it. So it's, it's definitely something that I want to. And I think that for me, you know, the best way to up it might be one of those challenges being like, I hate being like, I want to read 90 minutes a day because I hate putting kind of qualifiers and stuff like that. But I, I think it might be a good way to 
create a habit, right? It's like, you know, if, if you want to create a habit of not spending money or not eating junk food, it's like, even though you don't want to live your life, like the best way to do it is to stop, stop or start doing it for a long time, you know? Uh, and, and reminding yourself every day, it's like, Hey, read a book for 90 minutes. Hey, don't eat junk food. Hey, don't buy anything that doesn't serve you. You know, it's like, those are sometimes things that you have to push past that random, you know, oh, I'm going to watch Netflix instead of reading a book or, oh, I'm going to going to buy this thing. Like this is the last time I'm buying this T-shirt I don't really need, but, you know, I, I might need it one day. Who knows? And I think it's better if you kind of just say like, hey, I'm, I'm not going to buy anything at all or, hey, I'm reading 90 minutes a day, regardless if it means I lose 90 minutes of sleep that day. You know, and I, I think that at least for me, that's how I form habits. And then and then after that period, you kind of realize, like, what's the actual what, what's the what's the equilibrium here? What What is the amount that actually works for, for me? Right. Right, um, right. But yeah, I think those I think, you know, comfort challenges, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Again, different different ways. Either a comfort challenge, or you know, Tim talks a lot about kind of the the again the least path of resistance. What's the smallest thing I can do? All right, I, I, I'm going to make a commitment. And you know, James Clear talks about it in Atomic Habits too. Like, okay, I'm going to read for one minute today. And, you know, the chances if I just pick up the book and read for one minute that I'll happen to read for five or 10 exponentially goes up if I don't ever pick up that book or, or if I pick up the book with the intention of having to read for an hour that might I might feel disappointed in myself that I didn't read that long. So but again, it's, you know, it's like we sure. talked earlier, you know, what what works for one person and what works for another person. And it's kind of back to why I meditate for 10 minutes. I tend to be I tend to be a person that does better when I break things down to the smallest incremental piece. Um, I'm more likely to get going than if I kind of, my brain definitely tends to make mountains out of molehills. Yes. And so if I break break it down to a small enough piece, you know, maybe the mountain comes a hill and I, I can manage it. That my only word to the wise, because I used to live life that way, and I would, I would, you know, be kicking and screaming in my own head to make sure that I didn't do that one little thing I had to do because I don't know. There's something about that, right? Um, I think it's the, the child in all of us. It's like, no, it's like even though I have to do this one thing, I don't want to do it because I don't want to, right? Uh, but <laughs> yeah. I've uh, learned the know, most. That's, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's Jocko Willing stuff there. So again, another yeah. person I was introduced. Discipline equals freedom. Through, yeah, yeah, through Tim Ferriss, a guest on the Tim Ferriss show. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, kind of if there's you know, Jocko's got a lot of cool stuff, but the, the, yeah. the main the Jocko, the Jocko in my head is the discipline guy. Sure. And, you know, in the end, no matter how I feel, I, you know, I, I have to not go. If, you know, if I just did what I felt like doing, I'd never get anything done. Um, yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, sometimes Jocko's got to come up from my subconscious and, and tell me that discipline is freedom. And, yeah. you know, who cares whether you feel like doing it or not? It's got nothing to do with getting it done. Just go do it. And I think that's that's what I've come and learned and, and gotten to the realm of where I used to be much better about the, the the more James Clear approach of finding that balance. But recently I've found so much more success in just being like, I am meditating an hour a day. I am reading this much. I am doing X, Y, Z every single day. And sometimes that means that like, I might have to stay up till 2 a.m. And my day, I technically count my days when I go to bed. And, and I, even though as much I want to be OCD about being like my day starts and ends at, you know, at zero and ends at 23, 59, 59 seconds, right? But as much as I'd like to live that perfect life, it, it's also that, you know, um, it's, it's not as hard as people think to say like, I'm going to do this 30 minutes every day because people usually spend that much time on TikTok or Twitter or Instagram or reading pointless news or, you know, just talking the phone pointlessly. And so I think that 
I, I think the, the thing that this does, and I think this is Jocko's main point with discipline equals freedom, is that if you suddenly give yourself four hours of things you have to do every day in terms of working out and waking up early and doing these things, you suddenly realize that you have limited other time to actually get the other stuff done. So you have to be really conscious about making sure you're spending your time not properly is the wrong word, but um, in intelligently, thoughtfully. Um, I, th I think thoughtful is the way. It's like you want to be thoughtful with your time. You know, I think it's very easy to let things run away and distract yourself. But sometimes you just have to put your head down and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to push forward. And this is the way, right? Yeah, no, that's good. That's I like that, Rob. You know, being thoughtful with your time. Uh, and, you know, again, get into kind of another thing that Naval and you know, obviously a lot of other people mention about, you know, just time being the most precious resource we have, non-renewable yeah. Uh, you know, more important to us than money. Once it's gone, we're never getting it back. So, yes, being thoughtful with how you're going to spend the most precious asset you have, which is time, yeah. is a pretty good way to go about your business. Yeah, I think something that uh, it might be a James Clear thing. I forget who, but the idea of a time billionaire um, where, you know, a, a million seconds is 11 days. A billion seconds is 31 years. And when you think about that, it's it's this kind of almost terrifyingly uh, intense feeling. But we're m most of us, um, especially with the advents in modern technology, are time billionaires. We have billions of seconds left on this planet. Um, you know, it's like you look at your your kids. Your kids have you know with with advances in medicine, like they might have up to three you know ninety more years of their life left. Like you don't know. Yeah. You know, it's 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 safe to say that you'll have it. You know, hopefully, just like me, you know, thirty to fifty more years, right? Um, yeah. And so, uh, obviously, there's a delta between you and my age, but um, and, and so and so, I think that I talked to my dad about this because my dad just turned sixty. He turned sixty one in three months. And I was talking about this and he was talking about like, you know, the idea of time and stuff like that. And he's, he's finally like enjoying and just kind of, kind of zen about it. And I told him, I was like, dad, it's like, you know, you're a very healthy human being. Like you have, a, you have, you have hundreds of millions of seconds most likely left on this planet. Right. It's like, go, 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 go do fun things. You know, it's like, it's not like it's, it ends tomorrow. You know, it's, it's like, I think that you know, memento mori. It's like, I try to remind myself every day that someday, like this beautiful experience I have on this planet with, you know, you and everyone else, like it's, it's not going to exist for me anymore. Uh, and I think that when you remind yourself that it really kind of pushes you to, to, to make, make the, the most thoughtful and, and interesting decisions for yourself, I think personally, but. Yeah. Well, it's another stoicism to the rescue type things, you know, kind of the, the specter of death and, you know, I, you know, personally I'm 51 and you know, I got a lot of good time left, but you know, you know, I can remember when I was 26 too. And I mean, look, it's just the facts you, you kind of, you see that coming as you get older. And I, yeah. you know, again, I'm, I'm not, I, I got a long time left, but your, your thoughts on mortality change a little bit as you get older. Absolutely. And, uh, and, but again, that to me is one of the gifts of stoicism is that kind of that whole memento mori, but you know, accepting that fact, you know, that specter of death that kind of hangs over everyone to some degree or another, you know, obviously we're, we're, we're alive. We're living creatures. Our main goal is to, to stay alive. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's, it's always kind of the fear of that is there, but 
gosh, I tell you, nobody can reflect on death beautifully like the Stoics. I mean, there's just so oh, yeah. many beautiful, so many just literally beautiful quotes yep. on death. Um, you know, Marcus, Seneca, Epictetus—they they all got them. And, yep. and I, it sounds so morbid, but I have a note in my Evernote called "Evening Reflections." that is part of my nightly routine and it's all death quotes and it's like again talk about all right there you go there's a good answer to your question earlier what do i believe in that other people believe in? i can probably talk to a thousand people and i'd be lucky if i'm one other person that reads death quotes before they go to bed at night so i guess that's pretty weird <laughs> i do but, um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's just the most it's the most life-affirming thing especially when you read it in the way that the stoics talked about it, it, it like to read a Marcus Aurelius quote uh, before you you go to bed. You know you you're you know you've been a, a visitor of a great city. You know it doesn't matter how long you've been here for. You know you had no say in the fact that you were going to be born. You have absolutely no say in the fact of of, of when you're going to die. I can influence it maybe a little bit by living a healthy lifestyle. But you know you came in with grace. Go with grace. It's just, I mean, it's beautiful. It's weird maybe for me to say that, but it's 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 just a, a beautiful sentiment and it it helps me it helps me appreciate my life more to reflect on death once in a while. I, I, I couldn't agree more with that and I think that, you know, we'd all be a lot better off if we kind of just, you know, took a second and I, I, I think at this point, you know, we we've we've made our point. And then, you know, if, if anyone out there is still listening, I would say, uh, you know, the the purpose of life is to live, right? Um, right. And and with that, I think is understanding yourself fully. And I think many people, I've, I've I have friends, I have family members that kind of have made it through most of their life or part of their life, and really have no idea who they are. And that and that and that to me is not a place I ever really want to, uh, you know end up being yeah. so to it's speak back to, it's, it's back to a little philosophy again back to socrates the unexamined life is not worth living you know i'm thankful for that for whatever reason i ended up becoming a person who lives somewhat of an examined life because it's 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 uh it's made it a lot more interesting yeah um so with that let's let's change gears i have a couple um kind of quick answer questions. And uh, I stole this from Tim Ferriss and some of them are similar. Some of them are very different. Um, but you know, you can, you can answer them in one word or as many as you'd like. Uh, and there's four of them total. Uh, and the first one is if you had a billion dollars that you couldn't spend on yourself, what problem would you try and solve? Uh, because I'm in technology, I'm going to go digital divide. Uh, there's a, uh, you know, and there's so many good causes. You could get probably a hundred different things that are all valid. Uh, I'm going to go digital divide uh, a lot of people out there don't have access to the technology that opens up opportunities for them. Let's when uh, you get laptops and internet access and everything in front of everybody who needs it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that you know, going on that, it's just that you know, access, basic access to technology is going to be one of the great e equalizers coming forward. And if we, we start want to talk about you know wealth divide in this country and, and economic disparity, I think that. Access to technology, alongside access to nutrition and housing, is and, and healthcare is all all things that are in that same boat. Um, especially given that the the vast amount of opportunities available on the internet these days, whether it's an opportunity to learn or to grow a business or to make money or to, you know, pick your poison, right? I'm sorry, what's that? Oh no, it's a, I, I was just I was kind of postulating off what you said. Um, oh. Okay. Uh, 
Next question. Uh, is there a story that your family or parents like to tell about you? Yeah, my mom always likes to kind of let everyone know that I, I was a little bit of a difficult <laughs> kid um, you know, in a nice way. Uh, yeah, she uh, I was a, kind of a little bit of, a, you know, who knows? I didn't diagnose it officially, but probably a little bit of an AD, ADD type kid and, uh, you know, tended to find my way into trouble. Um, you know, there's one story and my cousin, we would feed off each other. We lived on the same street, but you know, I guess one day we like walked off. We just made a, a decision ourselves to kind of just walk off with a bunch of other kids to school or something. Who knows? That's why my mom talks about a lot. Yeah. Uh, but you know, she'll just kind of, she likes to tell the stories of kind of the trouble I used to get into. Anyone in particular you want to share? Um, you know, I don't know that anything is, is, coming directly to my i think there's a kind of a host of them um god bless them god bless her you know they 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 uh they love me a lot and i, I kind of uh i i, I helped uh, i helped them to practice love uh, <laughs> in, in, in some circumstances in an, an unconditional way as they say right That's there you go says. exactly yeah yeah, yeah. My, my, uh, yeah, I think it was my mom used to say like you, you, you and your sister always taught me unconditional love. <laughs> I was like, thanks mom. <laughs> and you're like, oh wait, thanks. <laughs> you know, uh, if you could send a single push notification to everyone's mobile device in a certain area, uh, what would it say and where would it be? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, you know, I would, <laughs> going to go down the mindfulness path with that you know i think to just kind of remind everybody in that moment to just be present um just stop so much pain i, I don't know like so much just personal pain that people go through because i'm in the present feeling guilt or remorse or i'm anxious because of the future just think of the cumulative sadness uh that happens in the world because people just aren't here. I mean, you know, un unless you are in a 0.001% of the circumstance, I mean, maybe if a tornado is bearing down on me right now, I I'm not happy about my this very present moment. But, you know, you talk about the 0.0001% of our lives where maybe really this, what's going on right now is it maybe the best of things. Um, yeah. And certainly other people who, who may be in a God, countless other unfortunate circumstances where the present moment isn't the best place to be. But in the vast majority of us, for the vast majority of our lives, everything's perfectly fine right now. And we have way more reasons to be happy than unhappy. Yeah. Um, so a, a reminder, push reminder to everyone to just stop, be present and appreciate what's going on around you right now. Yes. Love that. Um, and then to kind of close this off and end this out, uh, do you have any advice for your future grandchildren's generation? Yeah, I'm going to leave. I'm going to like bequeath a bunch of uh, copies of Marcus Aurelius meditations. <laughs> yes. I'm going to like bury it in a like time capsule and I'm going to like put something in my will, like open this up 50 years later and like, open it up, you know. <laughs> My grandchildren are like be thinking I'm leaving them millions of dollars or something. <laughs> well, you know, 25 copies. There'll be 25 copies of Meditations by Marcus Aurelius for them all to read and and get some a good dose of timeless wisdom and principles that if you live your life according to this, you're, you'll be at the very least relatively happy person. Um, 
Again, what the heck, man? I'm going with the stoicism thing. There's so yeah. much stoicism. There you go. I'm 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 bequeathing my yeah. future generations the gift of stoicism. And and one thing I would mention that most people aren't aware of is that if you own an Apple device uh, of any kind uh, with a, with a large enough so bigger than Apple Watch, so any, like an iPod Touch, an iPad, an iPhone, a Mac, you have access to the Apple Books app. And Apple, all those books, any book that's been old enough to be released in public record, so pretty much every yeah. single book that we've talked about from Ancient Stoics, uh, is right. actually available for free on the Apple Bookstore. So right. your son yeah. could go and download every single <laughs> like book that we've mentioned, uh, minus the new ones, obviously, uh, and read those for free. Which I think is a beautiful, you know, democratization of information that'll that'll happen more and more as as we become, you know, more put together society. But that's that's an aside that I, I'm I'm surprised people. I've, I've I've sent my friends like the Tao Ching before, or I think the the Almanac of Naval Ravikant, which is you know my number one book of last year. I think it was yours too. Um, yeah, that book's free in a PDF. So I had some friends be like, "Sorry, I haven't read it yet. Like I just haven't got around to buying it." I'm just like, "Well, if if you if you spent." 50 seconds of time and went online, you'd realize it was free, you know? Exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's always a good test. You, you know who actually follows through and just clicks the link and looks at it for a second? The ones who just like, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. And I think tomorrow is a disease that most people subscribe to. It's like, it's okay, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. We'll start tomorrow. You know, it, it'll get done tomorrow. And it's something that I spend a lot of my life doing. It's like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Like, it'll be perfect tomorrow and do it now. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah it's, it's, it's a mindset I've kind of, you know, you know, you know, Tomorrow is the enemy of today. You yes, know? Um, perfect. It, it, you know, it's so easy for us to say tomorrow, 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 and here we are ten years later. We're like, oh man, I never really got around to doing that thing I wanted to do. So, yeah, all about action and being proactive. Absolutely. Well, Mike, uh, thank you very much for your time. Uh, is there anything else that you want to add uh, on the on the on the closing of this? No, just thanks for having thanks for having me on, Rob. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. You know, to get to to talk to somebody about stoicism and mindfulness for you know an hour and a half or however long we've been going through yep, is, uh, half, yeah. is 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 a reward in and of itself. Uh, Perfect. You know, it, it was great. It was a great conversation. You asked some really great questions, and uh, you know, thanks for uh, giving me an opportunity to riff on a bunch of stuff that I really like to geek out on. Yeah. Perfect. Well, uh, Mike, uh, thank you very much uh, for for coming on, uh, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. Uh, maybe you can get go outside and go for a walk in the snow with the dogs. That sounds like a fun time. Uh, <laughs> yep, there'll be a walk tonight for sure. We'll get perfect. out. My wife and I will get out there and go for a walk. Perfect. Well, uh, thank you for coming on, Mike, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thanks. You too, Rob. Bye. I hope you all very much enjoyed this conversation with Michael McGill and myself. As always, you can find me on social media at Rob Auchincloss or RobAuchincloss.com. And you can find Michael McGill on Twitter at McGillMD921. That's M-C-G-I-L-L-M-D-921. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day and enjoy the weather.